Something we say a lot is actually our presence is our strategy. I mean, it's this way of access, you know, little to no access. And as a result, we're seeking to give people the opportunity to choose Christ. There's one church for every 30,000 people, so you do what you do because you're the only chance they have. People long for friends and they long to be loved. In a culture where there's like less than 1% Christians, I think, yeah, somebody's got to go. There are many people just like us that don't know Jesus and that are lost without him. They have the half-truth gospel. A lot of people don't even think that God exists or that they have a soul. They don't even realize, you know, that it's something that can change their life. Ministry flows out of relationship, and so we need to be there in order to build relationships. On the ground, sharing the gospel, and that takes time. That's what's needed, people who are willing to put down roots. And when things get really hard, we can journey with them through that. It's very important. I mean, it was Jesus' pattern. That's why we answered the call. There's not a single time that we've had a conversation with somebody where they haven't come back with, we never knew that following Jesus could be like this. We didn't know that this was even possible. We've never met somebody with a living faith. They have never heard about what Jesus has done for them. How will they know if nobody goes? Today, there are literally thousands upon thousands of missionaries around the world who are seeking to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that life change can come through Jesus, to every people, every language, every nation, every tribe. You and I are a part of a church family called the Christian Missionary Alliance, and in our little family tribe, there's over 700 missionaries knocking it down in 70-some different countries this very hour. Why? Why would you give, and give your life to do something like that? Maybe you've contemplated what God's calling is in your own life, and you've even contemplated missions, and that's great. But you know, sometimes we have to take a step back when you look at the church and all that goes on under the name of Christianity and ask yourself that question, why? Why? Well, the reason for the why is because we were given a great commission by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. And why did Jesus give that great commission? Well, maybe because Jesus has a plan that he's working out. He's not dead, you know. That's why we have Easter. He rose from the grave. He said it was to your advantage that uh, he ascended to the heavens. He would be coming back again someday in like manner that they saw him lifted to the heavens. But he says it's to your advantage because I'm going to send now my spirit which was the spirit of Jesus, to possess the lives of followers of him to go and complete this great commission. And that great commission is something you and I are called to be involved in today. And as we walk through this uh, new series that we're a part of, going from Genesis to Revelation, we cannot lose sight of the grander commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, and I think it's a, a good passage in Scripture to memorize, is Titus 2. 
And the Apostle Paul was on mission. And he said this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This present age? Yeah. The one in which we live. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and catch it, purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's what Jesus is doing. It's what he did when he came. It's what he will do when he continues to usher us into eternity. He is calling out a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. And it's not just missionaries overseas on foreign lands, foreign soil, who's knocking it down, seeking to gather people in the name of Jesus and to do good. It's you and I. And until we find our place in that great commission, there'll be a hole inside of our heart. I was just talking to somebody before church, and we were talking uh, just briefly about the whole thing. It's not about churches growing bigger or growing empires. No, it's about the kingdom of God and what God's doing and calling out a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. And so you and I, again this morning, get to endear ourselves to the story of God. Deep dive, we started last week, and I do have to smile when I think of the terminology of deep dive, and by the way, I was glad to see a great turnout this last Wednesday, and uh, rooted groups, and uh, uh, the deep dive groups, and student ministry, and the kid care that was going on, and uh, Armando and Veronica, and those were great tacos, man. That was great food, what do you think? But it was, it was such a nice thing to have a family meal together that we're going to do pizzas and salads this week. So come on out and it all starts at 545. Even if you weren't here last week or you're not in a consistent kind of mode for Wednesdays, Wednesday night is a family night for everybody and we are doing a deep dive. But I have to smile because this deep dive, this deep dive is addressing the big timeline of history. And the big timeline of history is going from the creation and fall where we started at last week, 2000 B.C., 1400 B.C., 1000 B.C., exile and return, 600 B.C., Jesus when he comes, right? And then the calendar splits, right? A new people and then ultimately a better beginning in the new heaven and the new earth. When I, when I think about this timeline and we put the title Deep Dive to it, I'm like, that's impossible. But somebody said to me this week, it's like, well, it is a deep dive because a lot of us don't spend any time in Scripture much or put the whole story together. And maybe what we can do sometime is do a deeper dive yet to drill down onto things. And one of my challenges was smack in front of me this morning because we're going from the creation in the fall to this next spot, which is promise and a people. It's just in a few chapters there. 
in Genesis, but oh my goodness, the time span. And I don't have time to, to walk it all fully out, but as we looked at last week, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he created mankind, Adam and Eve, made in his image to reflect his very glory. And he placed them in a perfect spot, the Garden of Eden. He gave them a place. He gave them a work to accomplish things in the Garden of Eden. He gave them relationship one with another. And then he gave his very presence as God walked around the garden together. And we looked at those four beautiful things, but then we looked at the aspect that evil entered the world. Satan, through the serpent, tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't want them to have to, to bear the burden of knowing what evil is in that journey. But he gave them freedom of choice because freedom of choice is far greater than being forced to love somebody. So in bread and the essence of divine love and humankind loving back to the person that created them was free will. They took their free will and they chose, though, by the temptation of the serpent to say, I want to know this, this knowledge of good and evil. I think God's keeping something from me, right? And we talked about Satan's game plan and how he tempts us in some of the same like-minded ways today. When we think, oh, he's keeping, God's keeping something from me. He's a killjoy. Or, you know, he, I'm not too confident in his plan for me. Adam and Eve chose evil. Evil came into the world. They were disbanded from the Garden of Eden. And when you read in the first few chapters of Genesis, and if you took a deeper dive still, you would find how not only did Adam and Eve begin to multiply here on the earth, but evil multiplied as well. I was reading back through some of those early chapters in Genesis today. Those people lived to be really, really old, like eight, 900 years old, right? Aren't you glad you don't have that before you, right? But it would talk about so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. We don't fully understand all the genealogy or the lineage and how that comes into context. And was it a direct, you know, from this father to this son or was there gaps in between? And so some of that early timeline can be much more expansive in the Hebrew understanding than what we might think in our cognitive, chronological, uh, tactical kind of approach um, to generations today. But it reveals that there was this multiplication of people. So-and-so had sons and daughters, and so-and-so had sons and daughters. And so the population grew. But the population grew alongside of the evil that was growing, so much so that God came to a point with Noah where he chose to take just one family and destroy the rest of the world because of the propagation of evil. Now, that's hard to comprehend. We don't have time to go there this morning, but it's this reality that in these early years of this time period, there was this growth of chaos. And God said, enough. But Noah found favor in his eyes, and so God pulled back, and he said, I'm going to take everything away, and the flood killed all things 
but Noah and his family and the, the animals that Noah put on the ark. After Noah, they came back and they began to multiply again, but then they continued to start to do evil. Why? Because something happened at the creation and fall where the human being made in the image of God became bent. They became bent towards sin. That's why we refer to it as the fallenness of mankind. And you and I are born into the same world, and you and I are born with the same sinful nature, a bent towards evil, a bent towards abandoning God, a bent towards denying God or, or being opposed to God's purposes and plans. And so we see the propagation of evil still ongoing in our world today. After Noah, the people were all isolated in, in a single area, a town of the Tower of Babel. You remember that? And they, and they were all speaking the same language. And God said, enough, because they're devising evil. And so there's the story in the early part of Genesis how God scattered the people across the earth and gave them different languages. And that's probably where the ethnicities come from. God said, I'm going to scatter them. And all that we see in the world today with different ethnicities and people and languages, that kind of the, the uh, infighting kind of things, one to another comes from God saying, I'm going to scatter you because the fall, the fall. But God, as a God of mercy and grace, There's been a verse going on in my mind. I don't know why God's put it there for the last number of weeks out of Romans, the early parts. It said it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Are you far from God today? You need to know this. You have a kind God. And he is patient. He desires that all would be saved. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us by giving himself for us to purify for himself a people of his very own eager to do what is good. God is kind and patient, drawing us to repentance. And so God made a decision. God made a decision on the heels of all the, the evil and the corruption of the creation of all that he was going to do something about it. And so he chose, he chose someone that all of us in this room, all Hebrew people, even Muslim people refer back to this individual. And his name is Abraham. So God said, I got a plan. I got a plan in light of all this. And, and so his plan, is, is, his plan was to give a promise and to create a fresh and anew, a people. This here's the statement that's actually uh, embedded in the deep dive book. And if, if you want to grab one of those on your way out and, and come to group, that's great. Because in deep dive, it's actually dropping into um, some of the more particulars between the weeks that I can't particularly do. And it's a great study. And then you come on Wednesday and you just have a group that you interact with and have discussion and share about things that maybe God taught you or you're excited about, right? And so uh, this is the articulation in that book of this particular stop 
on the promise and a people of God. Promise and the people God pursues Abraham. A man from an idol-worshiping family who has no children with his wife and promises that he will be the father of many nations. God promises land to Abraham and assures him that all nations will be blessed. Through his offspring, God continues to be faithful to this family. He restates the promise to Abraham's son Isaac and grandson Jacob, who is renamed Israel. A famine strikes the promised land, so Jacob and the family move to Egypt, where one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, is already there to provide for his family. So this whole timeline in this area is embedding these thoughts, and some of those thoughts are studied during the course of the week and what you're involved in. But we are going to look in particular at the life of Abraham, because that's where it begins. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says in Genesis 12, 1, you want to turn there in your scriptures. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, Abram was later uh, renamed Abraham, so I'm going to endear myself to use the term Abraham, so we're not all confused. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is foundational to uh, the Christian faith, to the Jewish faith, even to Islam. But they're not following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were following Ishmael, not Isaac. So what about what God's doing here? He says, all right, man, things happened that are bad. The serpent came and snuck in on you and tricked you. But I am going to crush the head of the serpent with the offspring of a woman we looked at last week, which was foreshadowing Jesus and what he did on the cross and through the power of the resurrection. And so he sends them out of the garden, but they begin to multiply. Evil multiplies. He does the Noah flood event, and then the Tower of Babel, and he comes to this place going, I've got to do something that's <clears throat> significant long-term and foreshadows all that I'm planning on doing. And so he picks Abraham. And Abraham, it said, if you turn to Joshua 24, 2, says this, This is what the Lord God, the God of Israel, says long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, who were brothers, lived beyond the Euphrates River and what? Worshipped other gods. God goes and picks a pagan someone who knows nothing about him in a foreign land, and he took that initiative. He took that initiative on his own uh, to be able to go and find this lineage, this family, and Abraham he calls. Now, it was a place beyond the Euphrates River. Now, where exactly might that place possibly be? Well, I don't know if this map helps you much or not, but let me give you a try. 
This is the Mediterranean Sea. Europe's up here, right? The Middle East. You got modern-day Israel that we know of it. And then to the east is the Euphrates River and the Tigris River. During the Iraq War, we were much more familiar with this area because that is modern-day Iraq. Down towards the southern part, down towards the Persian Gulf area, was what was called the Ur of the Chaldeans. And this is where Abraham's family was originally from. Now, you need to understand this whole lush area up through here is called the Mesopotamian area. Euphrates River, the rivers that you would find that in this area that it was a pretty nice place. And that's where even they think that the Garden of Eden was maybe over in this area. And what God did was he took Abraham out of this land and he took him to a land unknown to him to establish the people that God wanted to establish. That's why if we go back to Joshua 24.2, this is what the Lord said, the God of Israel says long ago, your ancestors, of course, this is Joshua towards the end of his life, giving impartation to people saying, hey, you know, it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Then it was Joseph, we move into Moses, and then Joshua, right? All this storyline continues. Joshua, towards the latter part of his life, is saying, let's go back to the beginning of the timeline, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abram, and Nahor. Now, by the way, back on uh, the prior slide, they left the Ur of the Chaldeans. They went up here to a place called Haran, and it was up there that Abraham's dad passed away, and then they moved on down into the land of Canaan. They lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. I don't know if you find that interesting, but I do. Why would he pick the pagan? And they worshipped other gods, idol worshippers. God doesn't care what background you come from. He can appear and show up in your life and bring radical transformation to call you into being a part of his people because he loves you and he cares for you and it's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. And Abraham did not know God. But as it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, to this he replied, brother, and this is on the end of uh, Stephen's life, right before he gets stoned in the book of Acts, and he's articulating this, brothers and, uh, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. They were still talking about it 2,000 years later. 2,000 years after, right? 2,000 years after Abraham, during the time after Jesus, they were referencing the story of God. You and I are connected to that same story. But God appeared. And God can appear to you in spirit. Sometimes he's appeared to me in dreams. Sometimes he's appeared to me just by reading the word and having the conviction of the spirit. God wants to appear to you. 
Because he is still calling out a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. And he wants you to be a part of that promise that he gave to Abraham. He wants you to be a part of the people that he is calling, not only in this generation, but all generations prior, generations to come, people that he's calling into an eternity with him. Because this is the story of God and what he's doing. Let's go back to Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Genesis 12, 1 and 2, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now what you have in the next verse, Genesis 12, 2, is, and, and verse 3 as well, is one of the most significant verses, not just in Genesis, but in all the Old Testament and in all the story of God for all time. Because God was up to something. He had a plan that he had devised. And so it says this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God speaking to Abraham directly as he appeared to him in the Mesopotamian area. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, you got to remember how old Abraham was at this time. He's, well, over to 75 mark. His, his wife was 65. They could all get on Social Security at the time. They're not thinking about, you know, trying to have babies. It's like, no, this, I don't think this is going to happen, man. What do, you, what do you mean? You're going to make me into a great nation? But he comes and he says, I'm going to bless you. Your name's going to be great. I'm going to bless you. Why? So you can sit around and go, look at me. No. His plan was to bless Abraham, raise up a great nation so that they would be a blessing to all people. That's why in verse 3 it says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Sometimes there's confusion as to, well, why do we uh, have some sense of reverence towards Jewish people today or the Hebrew people today? Well, it's because of this. God picked Abraham and he raised up the Hebrew people, Jewish people, but he didn't do it as a specialty like, oh, look how special they are. No, his plan on the timeline of all time, the story of God was to bless a people so they could bless all peoples. And so one of the challenging points is, well, how'd they do with that? Well, not always so great. And so the story goes on. But you and I need to understand, foundationally for us and what we're called to do and being a part of God's people, unique people, people his very own, eager to do what is good, is that it's based all the way back here in Genesis 12 where God came up with this promise to Abraham. I want to look at some aspects of this. The first has to do really with God's promise itself and that it is a gift of grace, a blessed people and a blessed place. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing and I'm going to take you out of this area and put you into a new area. Follow with me in reading in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, where his father had died, 
He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, here he comes again, same kind of commitment, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent from Bethel on west and I on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and he called the name, called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, I mention this because Abraham didn't have it easy. It wasn't like God says, hey, man, I got you, I got you a really nice five-star hotel when you arrive there. No, he arrived, and he found out pretty quick that he had, he had some big problems. One was that um, there was no land for him. It was occupied by the Canaanite. And secondly... He knew that he was blessed to have a people, but he was very old. So how in the world is this all going to happen? But God spoke to Abraham. He appeared to him right out of the blue, and Abraham responded in obedience. Go, leave. Leave the the five-star area. Your old age, trust me, just go. I remember when I moved here from the Midwest, from Indiana, 10 years ago. One of the best things somebody did for me is they gave me a little paperback book. And it was simply entitled, The Faith of Abraham. Because when you leave a place of comfort and you go to a place that's unknown, it takes faith. And Abraham operated by faith. Are you in a transition period in your life right now? Maybe you're here this morning and you're going like, yeah, I'm sort of like with Abraham there. This is nuts. How in the world could, you know, childbearing years, there's Canaanites, enemies in the land that I promised, and it looks unreasonable to you. But if God's given you a promise, with that promise is this gift of grace, and God will be with you on the journey that you're in. He appeared to Abraham. His grace was sufficient, and they began walking forward. Abraham and his immediate family, this plan of God. His promises, you need to know this, come from him, and they depend on him. The promise is not something you stir up. It's something that God gifts to you if you're in transition. And when you're in that transition, you need to know that the miracle work of that promise is dependent foremostly on him. Foremostly on him. Where are you all at today? Are you willing to step out by faith like Abraham did? Are you willing to step out by faith and see what God has promised for your life? give you a second thing. God's promise is received by faith. If you were to scuttle forward a little bit in the scriptures and, and all that's happening with this move, you find this 
in Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield for your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus, a servant. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord, verse 4, came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Can you picture that scene? Abraham probably complaining. You've been there complaining. I don't know, God. Is this ever going to work out? He says, hey, come with me. Come with me. Step out here, man. Let's, let's look at all the stars, stars that God created, right? Innumerable. And he says to Abraham, your offspring will be like the stars. In that moment, what do you think Abraham said? Yeah, right. Sorry. Gave pushback, right? No, he had faith. He stepped into what God was telling him and affirming in his spirit. He says, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. And so with this understanding of God's promise in our life, in the story of God, we need to see the element of faith and how faith is involved. Why did God continue to use Abraham? Because Abraham was a righteous person. But why was he righteous? He was righteous, it says, because he had faith. He believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this is important for us to know. Abraham was not perfect. He could have disgruntled moments. You can find them. I mean, he lied about his, his wife and his age, and he laughed at God, it says, when God first appeared to him about having all these, you know, uh, descendants. So he wasn't by any means righteous unto himself. But there was an imputed righteousness that was given to Abraham. Why? Because he believed. And what did he believe? Well, he believed in the promises of God, right? You're saying? Well, I want you to go to John chapter 8 and listen to the voice of Jesus himself. Jesus himself said this as he was you know, articulating some of the, the master plan and the narrative on the heels of things. Your father Abraham, Jesus said, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Friends, this is significant because it's telling us something about Abraham's faith here 2,000 years, 2,000 years before Jesus. Somehow embedded in all this, Abraham was able to see forward that God was going to bring redemption to the evil that was in the world and the brokenness, a promise and a people. But that promise was not just to, hey, you get to go to Canaan and I'm going to gather some people around you and you're going to multiply, start the seed. But from your offspring, there is going to come one 
who will be the Savior of the world. And Jesus himself, who was that Savior, says of Abraham that Abraham looked forward, believing, seeing my day was coming. I had a question to you. You and I sit here today and we say that we are saved based upon the work of Jesus Christ that we look back to. I believe in him. He died. He was raised from the grave. We look back. But what did Abraham do? How was he saved? He was saved because he looked forward to an event that was probably by all stripes and means not articulated to him, but an event of salvation through Christ. But he believed, Scripture says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Acts 16, it says this. It's a story of of, uh, Paul and Silas, and they were put into prison, and then an earthquake came, and, and the jailer, it says this. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas because he thought they'd be gone and he was going to kill himself, the jailer was. But they stayed. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This subject of belief is huge. It's critically important. That's why in Genesis 15 it says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So how was the righteousness about? Because he believed. What did he believe? In the one who would become to bring salvation. And what happened in that righteousness exchange? Well, it's embedded here in Genesis 15, verse 6. His belief was credited, counted, another version says, towards him as righteousness. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have some debt? How many of you have some loans? What if a friend just showed up in your life and said, could you give me your bank account there, and I would like to pay off that loan? And we all go, "Woo! glad day, right? Well, this terminology of credited or counted is what Jesus did in advance, we're seeing, of this story. That the belief, the faith, in the promise of the Messiah, Jesus himself, that faith, whether in the New Testament after Jesus came or in the Old Testament before Jesus came, it's Jesus that brings the righteous salvation to all of us. And he believed, Abraham did, and it was credited to him. It was an account that he had changed because of Jesus. Now, when somebody forgives your bank account, you are the winner, right? Something goes away, but the person that pays it, they have lost something. And what have they lost? They've well, they've lost some revenue, right? Jesus, when he paid the price on the cross, he gave away his life so that you could have life, so that you could have salvation. It is by grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus. And so Jesus, up here on this timeline, even though it's marked here as the change from B.C. to A.D., is the point of all history and eternity. Backwards, forwards, that salvation comes about. And it's credit to us as righteousness. God's promise was received by faith. 
2 Corinthians says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become what? The righteousness of God. And my question to you today, as it relates to this point, is have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and have you been saved? Not by good works, not by coming to church, putting things, checking things off your checklist of being a good person. There is no one righteous, not even one. But the one who was righteous gave his life away. He laid down his life so you and I could gain his righteousness if we believed and we have faith. So here it was 2,000 years ago. He's unpacking the promise and a people. Third and briefly, you cannot look at the life of Abraham without seeing one of the most central, pivotal events of his life. And this brings a third point to us, and it's this. God's promise comes at unimaginable cost, an enormous cost. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 12, Genesis, I'm sorry, chapter 22, you will find the story of God coming to Abraham to test him and asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. So from that time that we just read, God blesses Abraham and Sarah with Isaac and with others. And, and God takes Isaac and is going to use him to create all the stars of the descendants, people that would be blessed in order to be a blessing. And so Abraham's on this journey at his old age, and it says this in Genesis 22, sometime later God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut down enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship then. We will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire, Isaac, and the knife. As the two of them, he carried the knife and the fire. As Isaac carried the wood, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built on an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham was being obedient to what God had said. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this story is a horrendous story when you first hear it. How incredible. Why would God ever call something like that out of a follower of his? But God was testing Abraham. God was testing Abraham concerning whether he thought that he could fulfill the future vision or that God alone could. And would Abraham remain obedient to that which God had set before him? And so he brings Isaac along. You need to understand now that Isaac was not some little boy, whatever picture you might have embedded in your head from a Sunday school class. He was a full-statured young adult man. He was carrying all the wood for this fire. Abraham's like 125 years old or whatever, and he could have easily, Isaac could have easily outmaneuvered and said, no, I'm not going to do this, Dad. You're not going to do this to me. But Isaac, in the midst of this, same faith of his father, was willing to be obedient to what God had said and was going to offer himself. Some people believe that Abraham and Isaac thought that they would be raised again from the dead or something, but they were going to be faithful no matter what. And sometimes to have faith and be faithful no matter what, we have an incredible, incredible cost that we end up having to pay or offering to pay God if we're going to walk that road. So your belief is not always easy. Seeing God's promise come about in your life by his grace many times has a cost. But there's going to come a point of testing in your life to say, are you going to be obedient to me now? And so God tested Abraham, and he tested Isaac. you got to love how the story finishes. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, he repeats the promise, listen, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Through your offspring, one of those would be through his offspring, through the lineage of David, it would be Jesus, Yeshua, who was born the offspring of a woman, as it said in the creation account. Not of a man, because God was born immaculate conception through the Holy Spirit to the woman. But that one who was promised all the way back in Genesis, who would crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent would nip at his heel, is the same one that's spoken of here in this passage. Through your descendants, through your descendants, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. 
the ram was found in the thicket by Abraham, and so they offered the ram. But we know that there was one who had to be offered for the forgiveness of all our sins, and that was God himself come in the flesh, Jesus Christ. There was an immeasurable cost to Jesus. He placed himself on the altar of the cross and was crucified his shed blood poured out so that you and I wouldn't have to pour out our blood. It was through his sacrifice that we receive forgiveness and we have the opportunity to believe in him, be clothed with righteousness and enter into the people of God eager to do what is good. Through Jesus Christ, this story of God, it's ongoing. And the story of God always has Jesus in the middle of it. But what did he say to Abraham? Because you have obeyed me. Where are you at today in obeying the Lord Jesus Christ and God's commands in your life? It's a promise in a people. Are you living in obedience to God's promise today? Have you believed in Christ to become part of the people of his very own? Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning across this room as we've endeared ourselves to the story of Abraham, may you bring conviction into our life to trust you with the promise. And may you bring conviction into our life to turn from evil and indifference and turn our hearts towards belief and faith in you so that we can be a part of your people. And so across this room, there's anyone who has never prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Believe in me and you will be saved. I encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I have been indifferent, allowing evil my own sinful nature to pull me away from you. And so God, I believe now in Jesus Christ. I repent of my sin, come into my life. And Jesus, from this day forward, be my Savior and be my Lord. Be my righteousness that's credited to me. And if you're a person who has walked with Jesus, maybe for many years, and you're at a challenging point in your life that you need to trust and obey, whether it's in moving from the Ur of the Chaldees into an unknown area, or it's just being obedient to some sacrifice God's asking you to make. You can pray a simple prayer of endearing yourself to the Lord anew. Dear God, forgive me for my sin. I repent afresh and anew, and I turn my heart to obedience to the word that you've given in your scriptures through all eternity and the word that you've given to me personally. I believe you and I embrace again that promise that you have given and I choose obedience this week. Come into my life afresh and anew as my Lord and leader from this day forward. And God's people said, Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would... Uh, come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings which is a gift to God as well as your connect cards uh, we're going to close with a worship song and embedded in this as part of an old hymn and it simply says prone to wonder Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love
we are all temptation, tempted with wandering from God. May we, through the prayer we just had and this worship song, endear ourselves back to the God of the story who has a promise and is calling us to be a part of his people. To grace, how great a 
if God's spoken to you and it would be valuable for you to pray with someone, I encourage you, our prayer area up here on the right, someone would be glad to pray with you and maybe pray with a friend before you leave today. Crystal and Stephen, thanks for bringing the strings today. It was a nice addition. I'll see you for pizza and salad, 5.45 on Wednesday. You got it? Now may you go with the promise of the anointed one. And may you be his people this week as you go into the highways and the byways of life to compel others to follow Jesus. God bless.